Live and in color from the NBC News Radio Broadcasting Studios of KCAA, 1050 AM, 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM, located in beautiful Southern California and in parallel from the Turfs Up Radio Studio in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Thanks for tuning in to The Water Zone Show this evening. All right, good afternoon and a pleasant day for everybody. Welcome to the Water Zone Show. I'm Rob Starr along with Mr. Chris Davies, and we are the host of the Water Zone. Hope everybody's having a great day. Chris, how's your day out in California? Yeah, splendid, buddy. We're getting ready for, you know, that uh, you've heard the term before, atmospheric river, right? Or pineapple express is its term, but it's, uh, it's due back in Southern California here this weekend and early part of next week. So, yeah, we're getting ready. Yeah, I was watching it on the news today with the houses uh, covered up 10, uh, 10 feet of snow or more, and I know your daughter was trapped in her house for many days, and I'm glad uh, they got the least uh, shovel their way so she can get a path out the house, so that's great. So we had a great show yeah, today. Uh, yeah, we have a, a great show today. Uh, we have some people that we brought in who uh, participated in the National Mayor's Challenge for Water Conservation, and we're going to bring in... And that's run by the Wyland Foundation, and we're going to bring in the president of that, uh, Mr. Steve Creech, to tell tell our uh, listeners a little about what that contest is and, and the event and uh, what happened in, in Houston. So, Steve, welcome. Good to be here, Rob, and uh, we're, we're really honored and privileged today to uh, uh, share with your listeners uh, a little bit about the National Mayor's Challenge for Water Conservation, which... Uh, we uh, uh, are probably sponsored by the Toro Company, uh, as well as our work with the National uh, League of Cities and EPA and uh, all of these great organizations and cities all across the U.S. that come together every April uh, to see which city across America can be the most water-wise. So that's really what the National Mayor's Challenge for Water Conservation is all about. Excellent. And uh, now you've been doing that contest for how long? We're going on our 12th year now. Uh, as you know, the, the Mayor's Challenge really started out very organically with just a handful of mayors in southern Florida who uh, came to us and, and said, what can we do to get our residents uh, more engaged on water conservation and water quality issues? Uh, at the time, you know, most people just looked at their water systems as you turn on a tap, the water appears and end of story. But as we know, um, there's much more to it than that. And that's what the mayor's challenge is, is really all about. It, it gives cities across the U.S., uh, cities uh, as small as um, Laguna Beach, California, to cities as big as uh, Houston, uh, a way for uh, mayors to put a spotlight on the, the value and importance of those, those uh, water resources. And so they encourage their, their residents to make uh, – pledges and change behaviors to not only save water, but, uh, uh, but uh, you know, promote uh, better water quality and ensure that their, their cities are more resilient for years to come. Right. Now, the pledge, just to let our listeners know, it's not a money pledge. It's just a pledge to say, hey, I'm going to turn the water off when I, you know, when I wash my car or I brush my teeth or I'm going to, you know, check for leaks in the house and things like that. How many, how many cities participated? We have participation from residents from over 2,000 cities every year. Uh, and the, the cities that generally do the best, uh, they usually have a, a mayor who's actively engaged in, in uh, promoting resiliency and uh, the health of you know, the, the local ecosystems in their, their community. And, and uh, we have five winning cities of different population sizes. And last year, 
we uh, we recognize the city of Houston as the uh, grand prize winner of the challenge for their work in energizing their communities to become more water wise. And uh, we were at uh, the uh, Houston SPCA where uh, Mayor Sylvester Turner of, of Houston uh, joined us uh, as we awarded a grand prize Toyota, Toyota Highlander hybrid vehicle. Uh, which is one of the prizes we give away on behalf of, of our winning cities uh, as a way of paying it forward for their, uh, for their efforts in promoting water, water uh, reliability and resource management. Right, and, and a lot of the people who, uh, from those winning cities can win uh, uh, credit, what I think, credit card, the debit cards. Uh, they could win uh, prizes from the Toro Company and irrigation equipment and things like that. And, and uh, So it's a pretty, yeah, it's a pretty good deal. We we uh, even pay their uh, for their utilities for for a year, which is a pretty good deal these days when you think about the uh, the price of heating. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so everybody wins when they when they take the uh, the challenge. So I think some people think, well, you know, it's about water conservation and it's raining everywhere. So we really don't need to focus so much on actually saving water. But the idea is that we're we're creating habits that will really benefit us for the future and how we manage these resources. Because as you know, and as we've talked about on the show, uh, our water supplies are finite. They're not guaranteed when we're going to receive our water. And um, and there's more and more demands on our water system. So uh, so there's a lot more to it. And those, those couple of mayors that started the Mayor's Challenge with us 12 years ago, you know, I I think they had a lot of foresight in looking for different ways to engage people and get them interested in this because if the residents are not interested in managing this resource, uh, we're going to have real trouble having viable cities in the future. Oh, absolutely. You know, the big thing is today everybody wants to go green, but we, if you don't have blue, you can't have green. So I'd like to bring in the uh, the Honorable Mayor of Houston, uh uh, Mayor Turner, and, and, and uh, welcome to the radio show. We appreciate you coming on. Uh, thanks, thanks, Rob, and it's good to be with you, with Steve, and, and the other participants today. I'm honored to be with you. Can you tell us, I know, you know, when I was there uh, at the award ceremony, you you had given a nice brief speech afterwards, but tell us a little about your direction for, for water in your in your city and, and, and what your beliefs are going forward. Okay. Uh, and I appreciate the opportunity to be with you all, and I certainly appreciate the Wildlands Foundation uh, for what they are doing in this in this effort. And I can't say enough to to those um, let's say a couple of mayors uh, that uh, helped start this challenge uh, 12 years ago. And I do agree with Steve that they exercised a lot of a lot of vision. Uh, I will tell you, and I, I go back in 2011, City of Houston faced a major drought. Um, and we went on a massive conservation program uh, back then. We lost we lost thousands of trees um, because of that uh, that drought in 2011. And then uh, uh, fast forward in 2017, uh, from Hurricane Harvey, uh, we had uh, 52 inches of rain that fell on the city. Uh, so it's either feast or famine. And so now for the city of Houston, uh, the focus is on how do we build a resilient, sustainable city. Uh, not just for now, but for the future as well. So uh, this is a, it's a great moment for water conservation. Uh, I do agree with you. Uh, you can't have green if you don't have blue. And uh, we refer to Houston as the Bayou City. 
and Houston knows a thing or two about uh, water, and in some cases, the like their uh, the city of Houston uh, was excited uh, to be named one of the top five cities to win the Wildland Foundation's Mayor's Challenge uh, for Water Conservation, because it's and it's not just about the city government itself, the municipalities. It's about how do we engage the community, how do we get them involved, and how do we get them to participate. And this challenge uh, afforded us the opportunity to do that. So I want to thank the Wildland Foundation for recognizing, you know, our efforts to create a more sustainable Houston. And I want to thank the community uh, for pledging to conserve more than 60 million gallons of water uh, during during this challenge. And they also vowed uh, to take action to keep waste out of landfills, uh, earning the title of Water Wise City. Uh, it's an important notch for us. We're known as the energy capital of the world. We have the largest medical center. Uh, but this particular um, uh, honor uh, goes a long way in recognizing that uh, water conservation is not just about saving money on people's water bills, but it is about how do we build that sustainable, resilient city. Uh, it is uh, the city of Houston and the region is expected to double in the next decade. And so we want to make sure that there's water around uh, to sustain that growth and that development. Uh, and at the same time, uh, we can do it, and it doesn't add to the cost of uh, reducing emissions. And it's a cost-efficient way of doing it. So if, if this challenge uh, gave us all an opportunity to participate on multiple levels, I want to thank my Houston Public Works Department uh, for stepping in and for leading the way. I want to thank the people for their engagement. And if I can say this, I look forward to coming back on your show next year uh, to winning this challenge uh, one um, more time. That that would be that would be awesome. You know, it it takes a great leader, which you are, and it also takes a great team, which you have, and and putting that all together and the people that I met at that event uh, just impressed me very very much, and uh, I. I couldn't be more happy for you guys uh, for all the things that you did and make make it happen. And yeah, I'd love to see you come back next year and the year after and do it five times in a row. Set a record. <laughs> that, that, that would be awesome. You know, you know California. And let, and, go ahead. And let me thank and let me thank the nonprofits as well. I, I do want to to thank the Wildlife Center of Texas SBCA uh, for joining in. And um, look, it's, it's 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 a collaborative effort. Um, City of Houston, it's our nonprofit, it's the citizens that are here. So I do want to give special recognition to the Wildlife Center of Texas uh, for joining with us. Great. That's awesome. You know, you talked about your weather conditions there in California. Mr. Davey, uh, I'll call him Mr. Davey because I respect him. Uh, Chris has uh, one thing that he can tell you. In California, you either have a drought or you have floods. And that's 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 the problem out there right now. So uh, we're working on that. I'd like to bring in your public uh, director of public works, uh, Carol Hoddick. Ka- Carol, good afternoon or evening. Uh, good evening. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, delighted to join this team. Could you tell us a little about your your team's involvement and and how you got into this and and what your future plans are going to be for the for water? Absolutely. So uh, we were delighted to be part of this. So. Um, Houston Public Works is actually where our water and wastewater system is uh, operated out of. And so our water conservation team, which is a big part of our public engagement and public education, uh, actually brought this challenge to me several years back. It was uh, when uh, Mayor Turner was in office, but uh, I think this was our third year to participate. And we knew that uh, Mayor Turner, being uh, the, the climate mayor, 
and uh, being completely supportive of uh, sustainability and resilient efforts was going to be very excited to jump on board and sponsor the Mayor's Challenge. So that first year, we uh, we worked through our, our existing efforts to try and uh, get people to, to volunteer and sign up. And as we continued uh, through the next two years, this past year, we had a, a very, very large support um, throughout the city to, to make this effort go further. Um, it's allowed us to actually stand up things this coming year, uh, looking at what we're doing for water education throughout the year. We're actually doing some virtual workshops in March. We're doing an indoor leak repair, um, mm -hmm. identification and repair. We're doing an outdoor and irrigation leak identification and repair workshop so that people can uh, be water-wise around their homes. Uh, we're also um, already advertising that we're working on the, the challenge for this year. Uh, we will be having a, a wonderful Earth Day HTX event in Houston surrounding Earth Day. Um, and uh, Public Works will be making sure that every single person that participates in our Earth Day event signs the challenge uh, and, can, and makes their commitment uh, to, uh, to conserve water as part of that. Uh, and then we'll kind of cap that off on Earth Day with a Waterworks Festival down here at one of our local parks at Discovery Green. Uh, so we are, we are um, all in on making sure that people understand where their water comes from how they're using it and how they can be smart about that resource because it is limited um even though we are blessed with a lot of rain we know that our future growth depends on us being wise stewards of the resource that we have available absolutely so if i had to, if i had to choose a, a nickname for both of you i, I have to split it between you guys is the rock because you make something <laughs> happen and you do such a great a great great job on that what do you both, just real quickly, what do you both, then I'm going to Chris jump in here, what what do you see if you were, well, if you're the czar of water now, both of you, where do you see the future of water in Houston? Let me let me just say, and I know Carol can amplify this, um, and this is uh, uh, Sylvester Turner, Mayor City. Let me just say that um, um, water is, a in many ways, a finite source, uh, but our city is growing uh, we expect over the next de de uh, decade for the city of Houston population to, let's say, to, to almost increase by 50%. So it's a growing city, and then at the same time, we supply water even to people within the region and the population within the region uh, outside of the city of Houston itself will be growing. Um, so water conservation allows the city of Houston uh, to accommodate uh, future population growth. That's important. And you can't have a growing and developing city without without water. So that's critically important. Secondly, uh, water conservation is the most cost-effective strategy uh, to get the most benefit at the lowest cost. And we're living in a time inflation is real. Uh, people are paying more on their utilities, their food, or their medicine, you name it. And so if you, uh, water conservation is a very cost-effective tool. And thirdly, and I mentioned this earlier, uh, water conservation has zero impact uh, on the environment. I chair the Global Resilient Cities Network. And as Carol said earlier, um, the former chair of the United States Climate Mayors. So climate change is real. Uh, things are happening uh, that haven't happened before. They're happening with greater frequency. You either have drought or you're having snow in places where it hadn't snowed in years. Or you have um, a frequency of storms. Uh, so we go from the extreme cold or heat. And so it's, it's very important 
uh, for all of us, not just the city of Houston, but for all of us, to do everything we can to conserve and to and and to really set a goal of creating sustainable, resilient uh, cities. And if we do that, we all win. If we don't do that, then we are creating a whole lot of losers. Well, well, well said. I uh, want to bring in the uh, the winner of, of, of a, an award, not an award, but a prize that was given away by uh, the Wyland Foundation, and, and uh, that comes into Sharon Smalls, and she's the executive director of the Houston SPCA Wildlife Center of Texas. So, Sharon, welcome to the Water Zone. Thank you. Thank you, and good evening to everybody. Chris, you want to jump in? I've been hogging the air. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, you know, yeah, I've got, I've got no problem with doing that, Rob. You know, you and I have talked many, many times, and you know, Rob, and so does Steve Creek. I am in awe of the mayor's challenge and what it does. I wish I was there in Houston with you when uh, at at the event, and you know, you, you know, I couldn't go. But um, Mayor Turner, I mean, great, great summary you gave on your first set of comments there, and you substantiated that again uh, the second time, and I can just feel your your uh, fervor for the conservation effort but i don't want uh, steve preach to go unmentioned here um also steve you know i'm a big fan of the of the mayor's challenge and i know you started this program at the beginning 12 years ago um not to save water explicitly as you as you just said but really it's all about what can we do what can you do what can this challenge you to affect action on behalf of people um, and it, that, it all comes down to, to learning, right, and things that will change our behavior, education, uh, outreach, knowledge, all of those things change our behavior, change our, our habits, and that's what, uh, that's what you're after in, the, um, in this program. So uh, hats off to everybody. Robert, really, that's, that was what my comment was. Oh, and okay. and you, know how well, you know how well I love this program, Rob. Absolutely. So, Sharon, what, you know, were you surprised? that? Well, why don't you tell, tell them what happened, the sequence that led up to you getting the, uh, your prize? And I'll let you say what it was. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would say we were shocked more than anything uh, when we, we were called, called in and we were supposed to be. They just had some questions for us, and they told us that we actually had won uh, the Highlander. And I think I was, like, in shock. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this. Uh, but it has um, it makes such a big impact on a on a nonprofit organization like ourselves. Uh, we have already released uh, two bald eagles using the Highlander. Uh, we were able to take them out to a national wildlife refuge in the Houston area um, and release them back into a, a beautiful area with with lakes and ponds and all kinds of beautiful water areas. Uh, we've also released tons of probably at least 12 brown pelicans um, using the Highlander. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's so important to nonprofits like us. Um, and we are one of the largest wildlife centers in the nation, which is, seems very uh, strange being in the middle of Houston. But I think it says a lot about the people that live in Houston, that they do care. Um, so we, have, we get over 12,000 wild animals every year. Um, so this, uh, the uh, winning this this car has just it's just amazing what it has been able to help us do, and we do a lot of education, we go to schools, we do a lot of different events. We just did a big picnic. Uh, they had a big picnic at Memorial Park where we actually took some of our birds out and used the Highlander to do that and educate people about that because you know it all goes together in water conservation and and quality 
Um, it's so important to wildlife, too, in the ecosystem. It all kind of goes hand in hand. So a lot of our education, uh, you know, we, we, uh, we, we bring them all, it all comes together because it is one ecosystem. So it, it, it's been very exciting. And, and, you know, we are in the migratory bird path in Houston, so we do get a lot of animals that come through. A lot of stopover in Houston because there's some good areas for them to uh, eat on their way, migrating further north or further south, whichever way they're going. Um, so it's it's um, it's been such a, a rewarding thing and and uh, so fun to to have this this new vehicle. Well, I can tell you, you have an awesome facility. I think you know I fell in love with a bunch of your little puppies there that I'd love to take home. But <laughs> <laughs> I I have three and I can't bring any more home. But they were, you know, of all, of all the things and all the animals that I saw there that you were talking I mean, your place is huge. I mean, it, it's not a little tiny place. It's big. And and with all the medical things that you have there and everything, it was just amazing. Now, you know, the Wyland Foundation used to, years ago, uh, give uh, give the car away to a winning person. And they came up with the idea with, with some of the mayors that it would be a good idea to give it to a, a notable uh, nonprofit in the city. And, and that's how you were picked, and, and uh, it was a pleasure being there again with the mayor and Carol and everybody from your organization, uh, getting a tour. Uh, it, was, it was it was just an awesome awesome spot. Um, now I know you you you're, you're located in Houston. If you want to tell some of the listeners where you're located or about, so they can uh, get come adopt some animals or, or bring some to you. How do they how do they get in touch with you? Yeah, we are actually uh, almost kind of in the center part of Houston. We're off of I-10, I-10, 610 Juncture, um, and so kind of close to the Houston Heights area, right across I-10 from Memorial Park. Um, and so we do, we uh, take any kind of wildlife. We don't turn any wildlife away. And uh, they can, uh, people can always go to our website at uh, the HoustonSPCA.org. And on there is the wildlife section and the puppies, the kittens, all the different areas. Um, so, yeah, it's a great place to, to come and visit and, and see what we're doing. If you ever need help, especially with wildlife, the wildlife center is there uh, ready to accept wildlife. And like I said, we don't turn anything away. Yeah. Well, for our listeners, you know, we have listeners all across the world and actually and a lot through the U.S., obviously. Uh, but, but, Carol, maybe you can give a, a website and, and, and um, where people can go look up and see what your city has done with water conservation and water use efficiency and, and kind of use you as a reference point. How do they, how can they uh, find you? Absolutely. So um, um, the, the, the best way to find us is literally HoustonWater.org. Um, and then we also um, have the, the, the city of Houston's website. Uh, that has a lot of good information on it. But at HoustonWater.org, you will find everything about our uh, water system, uh, you know, including the rates and things that, that uh, people are paying. But it has a lot of really good information on upcoming events, on uh, water conservation, on topics, on uh, uh, things that you can do around your house, uh, as well as resources uh, for help with uh, paying your bills if you're having problems with that as well. You do rebates on uh, smart water products? You know, we have in the past. Uh, we do not currently have any ongoing, but uh, maybe that's something we should talk with offline and uh, see what partnership might be out there for us to work with. For us. Absolutely. Appreciate that. I want to bring Steve back in to kind of wrap up because this was a Wyland Foundation uh, event. And uh, again, as a sponsor of that, we're very, we're very pleased and 
we've been with Steve for God knows, it seems forever. <laughs> Steve's, be, Steve's <laughs> become and Steve, Steve and his family, personal family, and then my family. I mean, we're we're best of friends, and 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 same with Wyland. He's he's the most awesome guy that you could ever meet. Really down to earth, even though he's a world famous uh, painter. Steve, you want to come in and just wrap it up a little bit for your your side? Yeah, you know, uh, gosh, I just wanted to say thanks to Sharon and, and uh, Mayor Turner and uh, Carol and uh, everybody. I, you know, Forbes magazine did a, a little profile on the National Mayor's Challenge a few years ago, and uh, I thought they brought up a really interesting point about how partnerships, truly valuable partnerships, work, and the fact that the Mayor's Challenge is really it's a partnership-based project, you know, and it brings together governments and it brings together great companies like Toro and Toyota and it brings together NGOs and charities and schools and you know that's that's why we created it so we could bring together communities who could use their best talents together and they could leverage more value more visibility than they could do on their own and they can do that around something that's incredibly important for our communities and that's conserving water um, uh, this year, I just wanted to make an announcement to all the cities participating that that we have a new component to the challenge where uh, the, the schools and the kids in the schools can actively participate in real time with the other residents in the community so they can actually influence the standings in real time this year. So uh, it's just another great way of, of engaging another uh, sector of the community. So I hope everybody... Uh, you know, can can uh, follow the lead of, of the city of Houston and uh, join us again in April. Uh, it's going to be our best mayor's challenge ever, and we look forward to seeing all of you. Thanks again, Rob. Yeah, you want to give you how the people can contact you? Yeah, you can always find out about the Wyland Foundation at wylandfoundation.org, uh, or you can take a sneak peek at this year's mayor's challenge at mywaterpledge.com. Just remember that the uh, the campaign doesn't go into its competition mode until uh, midnight uh, Pacific time on uh, April 1st. So we look forward to seeing everybody then. Yeah, and, and just so that our listening audience knows, uh, Wyland himself will be painting a wall in Connecticut, and we're all heading out there uh, just before the 1st of uh, April. So, Steve, I'll see you there with Wyland, and uh, it should be a good good event. Thank you. Thank you, uh Mr. Mayor, we, we certainly appreciate you coming you. on. Carol, same thing. You are a wonderful person. and I, I like both of your tenacities on, on getting the job done, and you do it well. And Sharon, I'm very happy that you uh, you won the, the Toyota Highlander, and you're using it for a good purpose in town, and you do a good service for, for taking care of animals and making them better. So thank you all for joining. We're going to head out to our commercial break and be back with our next featured guest. So thank you guys very much, and you have a wonderful rest of the week, which is really one day. So <laughs> have, a, have a good one. Thank, thank you. you all. Thank you. All right. All right, so we'll be thank back you. in just a minute after our commercial break. KCAA Loma Linda. The Legacy KCAA 1050 AM and Express 106.5 FM. 
Water is one of the biggest expenses for communities, HOAs, universities, golf courses, and resorts. So keeping those costs under control, especially when rates are increasing while water supplies are being reduced, are often essential to a customer's survival. Managing water requires multiple skills, which is why it's been complicated and difficult until now. AquaTrack brings multiple skills and technologies together to help large system users conserve outdoor water and improve the health of their landscapes. AquaTrack's professionals are certified landscape water managers and certified landscape irrigation auditors. The company offers audit services, upgrade advice, technical expertise, and water use monitoring. We already manage irrigation water for the largest homeowner associations in Arizona, and we're prepared to bring our knowledge and experience to help others, including landscapers and designers. Give us a call and hear how AquaTrack saved one HOA some 430 million gallons of water and $200,000 in annual water expenses. AquaTrack is Arizona-based, and you can reach us at 623-594-8689. That's 623 623- Five nine four eight six eight nine. Moving up in this industry means getting the most out of each day, so you can focus on growing your business. With Site One, you're in control, and we're here to help. It starts with the right team. Our irrigation pros can help map out a complete, streamlined system that meet any requirements or regulations. And from the first dig to years after install, knowledgeable experts are available in branch or resources are available online to help find solutions specific to your needs. Next, we make sure you have the right tools to get the job done with the largest selection of top brands in the industry, bringing the latest in Wi-Fi enabled controllers, rotors, sprays, valves, and drip components. And because hard work should always be rewarded, you'll receive personalized pricing and earn loyalty points on qualifying purchases to help you grow. You're in control. Site One is here to help. Miss your favorite show? Download the podcast at kcaaradio.com. So welcome back to the second half of the Water Zone Show with Rob Star and Chris Davies, and we hope you're all having a great afternoon or evening, depending on where you're located in in the world. Uh, Chris, anything new in, in your end? From uh, from the standpoint of uh, of looking at what's happening here in California, there's uh, the only new stuff new stuff that will happen is when uh, is when we stop getting all these rains and this uh, and this weird weather going on here in Southern California. I mean, this is unprecedented, Rob. This is something that, uh, you know, was first described <clears throat> after the first set of storms, and there's been three after the first set of storms. It's unprecedented in a once-in-a-generation, right, or once-in-a-20-25-year span uh, event. And now, after the second and third round of these storms, it's now being, uh, you know, it's now got the label of a once-in-100-year uh, storm event. So, my goodness, I mean, you know, you've, you, you've lived in California for a while, and you know the impact that this kind of stuff uh, uh, can have on, on not just uh, the communities and the economic factors that come as a result of something like this, but on, um, as we said at the top of the show, on people's lives, literally on their lives, right? Well, I, 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 you know, like I said, I, I've seen it on the news, but it's one thing to watch it on the news and one one 
thing to be part of what's going on. And, and, and I know you and your wife are wor- were worried about your daughter who was stuck in her place for days. And uh, I, I'm sure with the next thing coming, you're going to get her to come stay at your house and get away from where she is for a while. Yeah, absolutely. That's what that's what's going to happen. She's gonna she's gonna come down here and stay with us. But you know, you're talking about a place uh, specifically where she lives up in Running Springs Crestline area that gets maybe maybe 12, 14 inches of snow, kind of a thing <laughs> for you know for storm at the max. And this yeah. time they got seven to nine feet, Rob, seven to yeah. nine feet. And this is two weeks ago. She was literally stranded and stuck. And it was only today, only today, two weeks after the initial storm, that uh, that county and private um, snow extraction, excavation, snow excavation services were able to get to her street. Now, granted, uh, Rob, you, you, I've described to you where she lives. She, you know, she's not right off the main street. She's on a small no. residential hillside, you know, single lane road, but. Um, it took it took a long time to get to her, and uh, you know she's been literally stranded and alone uh, inside her house for 14 days. Talk about cabin fever, quote unquote. Well, that had to be scary and devastating. At least the good the good the only good thing out of it. I mean, she had electric, so she could get heat and you know listen to whatever she wanted to watch TV or a radio or something, but. But but I know she had a generator, but that's outside in the snow. I know you had bought her a cord or so of wood, but that's outside buried in the snow. Her car was yeah. completely her car was completely covered, and and the, and the snow blocked got right up to her front door, so she couldn't go out. And even if she did, you were telling me about the uh, uh, the uh, patio or the the the, the deck okay. that's outside. That's got what twenty thirty foot pylons holding it up so if the weight and, and you know the weight the weight could toss that down and just like uh, it was also on the news that the the big uh, supermarket in town the the roof collapsed because of the weight of the that snow is correct it's good yeah goodwin's market which is the essentially the only uh large-scale you know supermarket grocery store if you will in the city of uh crestline and of course is you know is is her to, to use the phrase that has now more meaning to her than ever. Uh, it is her lifeline, right, for groceries and things like that without having to drive, you know, 40 miles down and back up the, uh, up the mountain. But right. that, uh, that suffered catastrophic damage. I mean, it was first, you know, one of the corners caved in, and they had companies out there trying to, trying to do it. But over the course of the next couple of days and the second wave of this three-wave storm that, uh, that, that came in, um, so much weight, so much snow accumulation, seven, eight feet on that roof, uh, sections of that roof that were already compromised. Um, construction companies couldn't couldn't fix it fast enough, right? Basically couldn't shore it up. And uh, so that weakness was like, you know, dominoes. It was just the beginning of one. And by, after the second wave of the storm, the, the whole roof just collapsed in. But let me tell you, Rob, I'm going to tell you a story because uh, Goodwinds has, has in true uh in true fashion of a of a community supporter um, they took everything that was inside that store which now is became, became almost instantly you know perishable if they didn't uh, right. get rid of it they took everything that they could get that was reachable out of there safely reachable and gave it to the community um, wow. you know they had their 
they, they had the, a private plow company uh, plow their car, uh, parking lot, and they brought everything that they could save, everything that they could um, get out of the store, and uh, placed it on tables for the community to come and get, if the community could get down to the store uh, to get it. But they gave away essentially their entire inventory. Rob, isn't, isn't that isn't that just the you know that that's just awesome. the antithesis of a of a community support? You know, you know, it's it's a shame that communities can't be like this all the time. It's only when a disaster happens that that, that these things come up and people step up to the plate and do their things. You know, the majority of people in the United States are really good people. You know, when there's when there's terrible things happening, just like with Syria. You know, Syria is not on the best of terms with the U.S., but but when they had the earthquake with Turkey, what did we do? People from here and private private parties and, and organizations and government, even the government, we sent over stuff to help people. We're all human beings. At the end of the day, we cut our fingers and we bleed. We're all we all came from the same place, and and it's a I mean, it's wonderful to see that people come together for this. But I wish they would come together all the time, and that's just because we have a, a, a devastation of uh, of something. But I, I I I don't think I can ever change the world about how they think about doing stuff like that. So kind of a, kind of a shame. Yeah, there's a lot. You know, there's a lot of challenges facing the world these days on on uh, on all different fronts and you know you and I have talked just privately with ourselves you know how does how does a single person make a in, make a meaningful impact on that and and you know in, in most cases for those large scale issues that <clears throat> that uh, countries um, uh, face uh, or entire regions of the world uh, face right you you know you and I can't but we can as individuals by um, by supporting, um, donating, you know, things like that that we can do as individuals where many individuals come together and their collective efforts then uh, then pay off. But, right. uh, you know, there's also lots of things, as as was indicated with the with the issue with the San Bernardino storm in the San Bernardino Mountains, where individuals can help individuals. And a lot of that took place up there. There were people neighbors saving neighbors including uh my daughter who assisted her um retired neighbor uh lives by himself just up the hill from her up the road from her and uh trudged <laughs> finally trudged you know and it was all it was all, literally 150 yards but you know in five feet of snow at that time <laughs> and took him some you know dried rice and some canned goods and uh and some other stuff uh, uh up to his house and so it is it is, you know, helping people is an individual effort all the way up to a collective effort and every, everywhere in between. Yeah, absolutely. And that was, that was really touching of her to do that. You said he was, what, 80-something years old, you were telling me the other day, and he was yelling yeah. out the door that he has no food. I mean, that, that's scary. And, you know, they thought one of the, some of the people froze uh, to death. Uh, in one of the wow. houses there, they were saying on the news, it's just just devastating. And and you know, I, I I I've been up there several times, but not not in the kind of condition it is now. But what happens with all this water that's going to go when it starts melting? Are they prepared for that? I think, well, I think that's the problem, right? So so now now with uh, with still a lot of snow remaining up there and snow at lower elevations, elevations that in the California mountains. Southern California mountains um, is not characteristic of of the area. 
So they're down uh, at what, 2,000, 2,000 feet or less? Sure. Yeah, 25, you know, 2,000, 2,500 feet. I mean, it snowed where I live right here, and I'm at 1,540 uh, oh. feet in elevation. And it, and I showed you the video, Rob. You saw yeah, it, right? Yeah. No, yeah. it's it snowed here um, dur- during the storm. Uh, of course, that there's no longer any snow remaining because we're we're back to uh, temperate uh, climate uh, again. But you know, the issue facing the the mountain communities now is they have you know two and three feet of snow between the uh, two thousand and five thousand foot elevation, uh, four feet to six feet. Uh, up to the 7,500 feet, and up to 10 to 12 to 14 feet of snow in elevations at 8,000 feet and higher. So if a quote-unquote pineapple express, right, comes in, or the atmospheric river, that is fueled by subtropical moisture, not by um, Arctic or, or cold uh, frontal, right. cold fronts, but by temperate fronts um, with subtropical moisture, and they're warmer storms, so it rains up to elevations and now up to five and six thousand feet so now that rain is going to accelerate the rate of melt of the existing snow that's not there so you get a compounding effect rob you get not just the uh runoff from the actual you know measurable rain that's coming down but compounded by the melting of the snowpack or water storage that's already there from uh prior uh, uh snowstorms so it's a compounding effect. There are trucks, of trucks and trucks of K rails and stuff being, you know, being driven up there right now into those areas uh, to start to prepare for what's expected over this coming weekend and into next week, uh, and try and prevent as much as possible of uh, flooding or mudslides or you know damage uh, damage from uh, other damage from a storm like this. Well, I can tell you, I'm sure you know as well, I mean, you're, you're personally going through it with your daughter, but uh, it, it was major stories on all the news out here. And, uh, you know, it's it's something, you know, people don't really realize. It's it's, it's like fires. You know, you, you see them on TV until you experience them and you're really there and you, you see the hardship and things of people losing everything they own and, and stuff like that, or people can't get out and they're out of food. I mean, it's just it's just terrible. Uh, I, I know we were talking about it last week, and I know Arizona was sending some snowplows over to to there to help because they didn't have enough snowplows to do the roads. And uh, and then somebody rode in the snow. And they showed on, on the news as well. Somebody uh, dug out and it says, "Help us!" <laughs> uh, in a in snow area, so people could see. You know, a helicopter could see what what it, what it was, and hopefully they got to those people and uh, and helped them. But uh, anyway. Yeah. Whoever wrote, yeah, that uh, that part, that snowbank that uh, that was famous in that in that photograph is uh, is the school, it's the front schoolyard uh, there in Crestline, <clears throat> oh. um, and it's just it's it, it, you know it's literally a half a mile from uh, from where my daughter lives. Um, I've walked in that I've walked uh, her dog in that uh, in, in, in that schoolyard, not in those conditions, of course, because you can't get up there. <laughs> but <laughs> but you lose um, the dog. Know, <laughs> yeah, that's where. Yeah, yes. Yeah, watch out for the yellow snow. Yeah. Um, in in that area, yeah, in that area there, um, that is. I mean, it's a beautiful area. I'm, I'm sure you've been up there, Rob. But you're right. Yeah. There are uh, there are uh, snow plows coming in from um, Flagstaff, Arizona. Uh, you know, right just up the street from where you live. Not quite just up the street, Rob. Yeah. But you know what I mean. Yes. Um, 
in the same uh, in the same state, and most uh, much, if not most, of the snow removal is being done by private companies that uh, were hired and came in there. So you know everybody can argue about how long it took to get that help in there, but that's just how long it takes. And I'm sure there'll be some criticism for the local, county, and state uh, uh, folks who who I'm sure did their very very best. Uh, to help in this circumstance, but um, it just takes a while to mobilize these sorts of resources and get them there. And also realize, Rob, that uh, for that type of snow, you know, when you start to get a couple of feet and all that kind of stuff, that's about the maximum that uh, that snow that even even commercial grade snow plows can uh, can handle. When right. you get accumulations of five, seven, eight, ten feet of snow, right. it it yeah, the process of Removing that snow um, changes from snow plowing to snow excavation, right? You well, can't well plow a lot of that. it turns a lot of it turns to hard ice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that that sort of depth of snow after it's settled and uh, thawed a bit and then refroze and thawed and froze multiple times, you know, it becomes like a big chunk of ice and it just cannot be plowed. It has to be excavated. So yeah. that makes the snow re- removal process that much harder to do takes it that much longer uh, uh to do and so you know i'm sure everybody is uh, is trying their best to do it but um you know i mean from a personal standpoint witnessed it personally and of course had the anxiety of of my daughter being up there and uh and and not being able to you know get out of her house for literally you know 13 days so <laughs> live scary, scary stuff Hey, going back to the uh, our previous guests uh, from Houston, I, I thought they were uh, very humble, but uh, they have good, positive attitude about water use efficiency and stuff. Um, you know, I was surprised to hear that they they didn't have any rebates going. They'd like to talk about it, which would be a good good thing to do. But you know, I, I, I'm finally I was asked by uh, one of our one of our guys back in Virginia yeah, the other day about uh, who's doing rebates and stuff. A lot of places that used to do it are not doing it anymore. And I don't know if it's a, uh, I'm sure it has to do with funding, but uh, I'm surprised that it, it went down as much. I, I, I would say almost 30% of the, the water agencies that were doing it before have started limiting it to that. And um, yeah. I, I thought we, you know, the government passed this big trillion dollar deal uh, to give money for this stuff, but uh, I, I don't see a lot of that spurring out. I still know there's, ter- there's uh, money for replacing grass for turf removal, uh, and there's some for smart controllers, but they haven't got really into efficient nozzles or things like that or other sensors, and I think that, that kind of needs to, to happen, and I'm, I'm surprised that there, there's sort of a drop this year of 30%. I don't know if it was because they were running short of money and they had to wait till this, this big bill got passed, uh, but I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on that? On a national standpoint, Rob, I think there's a juxtaposition. You know, there's like polar objectives uh, yep. there, and yeah. And I also, <clears throat> I also believe, and and I've read in you know many different information sources uh, that the pandemic period probably probably didn't uh, didn't help in that in right. uh, uh, in that process. There's a lot of people with a lot of time, and uh, and so I think. I can't speak for the rest of, uh, of the state or the country for that matter, but here where I live, uh, I think focus turned to just as you said, um, 
turf removal, right? And uh, that was where the focus has been since uh, 2020 or since just before the pandemic uh, right. hit. Um, and it, you know, I've read a couple of articles uh, actually posted <clears throat> recently in the last few months about uh, about the fact that the pandemic really, really helped that process. There are so many people here in Southern California that, that took up the Metropolitan Water District's uh, turf removal program, uh, rebate program, um, including yours truly for a portion of my uh, property anyway, not, not, not all of it because I, I, uh, I'm a big proponent of, of still keeping the lawn and I think it's a valuable asset to a home and to the environment right. uh, uh, as well. Um, you, you fully know my feelings about that. But I think part, the other part of the process is, um, is uh, there was a focus for many years in the uh, mid-19 and uh, mid-20 teens, right, 2014, 15, 16, 17, and 18 that were focused on efficient uh, sprinkler nozzles. But keep in mind, Rob, since then, in the state of California, there's been uh, an ordinance that uh, requires pressure regulation in pop-up yep. sprinklers, and that in itself has been a water-saving uh, right. uh, feature. Yep. Uh, but there's a lot of states that don't have that, the, the pressurized uh, uh, heads. Sure. But they can still get the nozzles. And the nozzles come with a pressure. they, they, they got a pressure cap inside to, to regulate that yeah. as well. So uh, I'd love to see that start to pick up again. I mean, we were, I have to say it, I don't usually tout us because I try to keep the show neutral. But, you know, our listeners know we work for the Toro Company, and we were the first ones to come out with these very efficient nozzles to do one inch per hour precipitation rate. And we we launched with a bunch of other water agencies the uh, uh, free sprinkler nozzle program for them, so people would get a hundred dollars worth of nozzles for free. And I thought that was a that was a great thing to happen. Um, you know, like in all rebates, people take advantage, misuse them, and take advantage of it, where they put it in and they take it out and just to yeah. get the money back with the freebie stuff. Uh, I think that's that's sad. Or they don't understand how a smart controller works. You know, they they're used to their own old-fashioned standard controller from the 50s and 60s, where you you set it for every single day for X amount of minutes, and every day it does what it says it's going to do. But it, the weather changes every day; it's not the same. And and uh, a smart controller, I think, is a great thing to have because it monitors or it watches what the weather is every single day and adjusts the watering schedule to that, which will save dramatic amount of water. I mean, you can save up to depending on the manufacturer, they talk about up to 60% of your water usage if you have one of these things. And and, and, and that's an important thing. And I, I, I think, you know, with the government spending money on things and wanting to have people change their ways, uh, smart control is a smart way to go. I mean, it's, it's, it, it's something easy to put in, easy to set up. Uh, they just got to understand how it works. And don't, don't wait there for every day. It's supposed to come out at the same time. It's not going to do that. So put out the same amount yeah, of Yeah, you're absolutely right. I, I think, Rob, you hit on a key issue uh, as it relates to free sprinkler uh, program, free sprinkler nozzle programs versus turf, turf removal, and that is the policing of it, right? Free yeah. sprinkler nozzles, um, free controllers and things like that. You're right. It's hard to police that, right? People can do just as you say. Get the rebate, um, but but don't uh, take the action. Don't don't put them in. There's, there's yeah. no policing. With turf removal, it's very hard to reverse that uh, yeah. you know once you've done it you've done it and there is uh you know it's very it's very hard to reverse that and, and just not as easy as just taking out a sprinkle or nozzle or disconnecting your controller right 
Oh. It was just an extra hey, cross. Robin, I know. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I just want to make a comment about, because the uh, in in conjunction with our, our friends and our colleagues at the Irrigation Association, um, I just wanted to remind our, our listeners that their Watch Us Grow program for 2023, uh, you know, that's still in effect. The, the deadline is March 31st. And so if, if, if you'll let me, Rob, just let me, you know, tell our listeners that, you know, big, big irrigation companies, lighting companies, small irrigation companies, you know, if you're just a, you know, a mow and blow person, um, if you, if you've experienced some, some business success, then you need to be celebrated, right? And so this is, this is a opportunity, a big opportunity for our listeners uh, to take advantage of that. So, if you, if you think your company is a standout, um, contact the Irrigation Association at irrigationandlighting.org. That's just uh, one string, irrigationandlighting.org. And see if you can enter your company into uh, a drawing. And what that drawing is, is it allows you to be interviewed and highlight your, your company uh, for its success uh, in, in the past year, in 2022. So the deadline is March 31st, um, and you can go to irrigationandlighting.org to sign up. So it's pretty, it's pretty simple as that. Well, that's the way to go. Well, anyway, we're, we're out going to our commercial break, Chris. And um, anyway, we thank our, our people who uh, uh, joined us uh, in our first segment. And um, sorry we had some te- technical difficulty, I guess, with the other uh, uh, people calling in, but we'll we'll check on them and schedule and reschedule them again. So, Chris, thank you very much for uh, being the anchor with me, and uh, I will talk to you next week. Right back at you, Rob. Have a good rest of the week. Thanks for tuning in to our listeners. And remember to please help keep our planet blue. Good night, people. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye-bye. CAA Loma Linda. The Legacy KCAA 1050 AM and Express 106.5 FM. NBC News Radio. I'm Brian Shook. At least seven people are dead and seven.